Hi, I'm Sakita Holly. I am an award-winning publicist and entrepreneur obsessed with transforming brands, and I am dedicated to sharing everything that I've learned along the way to help you win at work, in business, and everywhere in between. On this podcast, you will have direct, unfiltered access to your favorite creatives, entrepreneurs, and executives, and the methods that have made both them and myself successful. This is the Sakita Method. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag the Sakita Method and be sure to tag me at Miss Success, that's M I S S Success, on both Instagram and Twitter. So today's guest has accomplished many things in her young life, and it feels a bit crazy to even try to condense it all into a few short sentences, because to me, she is truly major in so many different ways. At 19, she cloned a gene with similarities to a genetic disorder. She helped start and run an anti-tobacco organization, and then as if that wasn't enough, she became the youngest precinct judge for the state of North Carolina. Her love for solving tough problems and her knack for building communities on and offline has led her to critical acclaim and earned her many industry awards and accolades. In 2013, she started an award-winning boutique company you may know called Travel Noir. By the time the brand was acquired in 2017 by Blavity, it reached 2 million travelers each month and sold out of every product it brought to market, building a legion of loyal followers and customers along the way. Today, she works with her husband to acquire, grow, and sell small online businesses, and she is the host of the Bloom Podcast, a column-style podcast defining what it means to live passionately for God in a lukewarm world. My guest, if you haven't already figured it out, is Zim Flores. I've been a fan for years, and I'm so excited to chat with her today about her personal methods for growing a successful brand while also staying grounded in purpose. Welcome to the show, Zim. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I am, I mean... I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time, so I feel like everything happens in divine, right, and correct order. Before we just jump into it, I want to know, how are you feeling today? I feel, I feel good. I feel good. I'm like on the mend. I was, um, I was sick. My husband and I, we actually had COVID and didn't find out until, um, until this week. We had the antibodies. So um, that's been really interesting. <laughs> we spent all this time trying to avoid it and trying to hide from it, and we ended up getting it anyways. But um, thank God we got over it and got through it, and it was relatively mild for both of us. For sure, that's it. It is crazy. The time that we're living in is just really insane. We're we're in the middle of a pandemic, and none of us have really lived through one before. So it's it's really interesting just to hear everyone's story, and you know, just to make you know make sure we're all staying safe. But I'm happy to hear that you are well. So I mean, I read your bio, which is <laughs> literally doesn't it's insane doesn't make any sense like you just out there <laughs> killing the game like you were already killing it and then you had this idea to create travel noir what was your goal or mission for the business um so you know when I started the business I wasn't necessarily thinking that it was going to turn into all that it did 
I wanted to start the conversation. Um, and I was living in India at the time. And um, well, before I started Travel Noir, I was living in India, traveling from country to country for as little as eight bucks a flight. And nobody else that looked like me was having the same experiences, at least that I was seeing. And mm -hmm. so I was like, well, I think we all know, or we know, we all may know somebody who's like that traveler who's black in our, you know, in our circle, but they're not talking to each other. Mm. So how can, how can I create something that allows us to connect with one another? And that, so that's kind of how it all started. So you wanted to start the conversation where you just thinking that, okay, let's, let's connect. Let's, let me find like-minded travelers. When did you start thinking of it? that travel noir could be like a guide or a resource for black and diasporic travelers? Um, I mean, after I saw the traction that it was getting, I mean, we basically were just teaching people um, how to reframe their mind around what it means to travel. You don't have to have a ton of money. You can take a lot more vacations than you think you can take. Um, that's kind of, you know, we started it as a place for people to share their stories as black travelers um, there was no place that you could share your story and feel like the person listening to you was receptive. A lot of times when we tell our own travel stories, people are like, yeah, 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 that's great. That's cool. You travel. I get it. That's cool. Um, but we wanted to be able to talk about our travels and what happened on those experiences with people who could understand or who were interested. And so once that kind of picked up, people kind of ran with it. They were like, oh, what's this thing? Black travel. Oh, I can get to Dubai or Abu Dhabi for $180. Or, oh, you know, I can work remotely so that I can travel more, et cetera. And so when those things started to pick up, um, that's when I realized that, oh, okay, I might, I might have, have a thing. And when that hit you, I read in an interview that you mentioned that after taking some time off, after you left a production company, you took your savings and you started the business. When this started picking up traction, did you, you know, have to use your savings to grow the business? Like what were your initial starting costs for Travel Noir? Yeah. So for Travel Noir, I bought the domain name and the theme. Um, so that was probably like 50 bucks. Um, and then... The run, I mean, to run it was pretty low cost. Like we didn't, the, there were people who wanted to write and just share their stories for free. Um, and there, there was not like an infrastructure where we were thinking like, oh, let's pay the writers because we weren't even making money. So um, people just wanted to share their stories. Um, and then we brought on fellows who were proficient in different levels of of uh, like field, like design or marketing or whatever. And uh, because we weren't making any money, I, I said, okay, how can I make this valuable for our fellows? So I essentially taught them how to earn points to get to a destination of their dreams. So, so when you finish that program or the fellowship program, you would have, you know, a free ticket to anywhere in the world that you wanted to go. Um, and I taught people how to do that. And so that was kind of how we grew. Um, and then I had my savings. Um, we kind of blew through that. That was, um, we paid for like odds and ends types of things, like, you know, developer when we needed them or like marketing costs when we needed them, design stuff. Um, we ran through that 
um, pretty quickly before we launched our first product. And I'm so happy that you mentioned the fellowships that you offer because as an early fan of the business, I was just like, this woman is so strategic in how she is growing not only the community, but also the fellowships. I remember doing like a whole blog post, like, okay, here are all the PR things that they are doing (laughs) without having official PR representation to my knowledge. How did, how much did the fellowship model in the beginning help you guys fail? Because like you said, you were bringing in people with all these other talents that maybe you otherwise wouldn't been able to afford yeah I think that so because I had right before my uh, right before I started travel noir like right around that time I was working for a Hollywood producer Mm. and this Hollywood producer had she like loved snippets right this is all Hollywood people do sizzle reels like all that stuff so I had to get really good at getting my point across in a short amount of time Um, And so I think that that helped proliferate our messaging. Um, But a lot of what the fellows were helping with were things like masterclass, like designs and um, finding people to host different, uh, different conversations. Um, And, you know, it was really a free for all. Like I had never run a company before, um, but I knew that people had stories that they wanted to share. Right. We had, you know, we launched Travel Noir TV um, and we were just I said, not throwing things at the wall and, and hoping that they would stick. But it was kind of it was a little hap, a little haphazard. Like now that I look back on it before we had a product, we just wanted to deliver as much value as possible. And by delivering as much value as possible, we found that people continued to show up. They continued to share. Um, and that's really what aided uh, in our growth. What was your first product? So our first product was called The District and it was a it was a membership um and it came out, it came uh out around a time that glitch fair started to become really popular. And so because we had been teaching people how to find these glitch fairs, we were fairly confident that we could productize that and so I was on a trip in Thailand, and I read an article somewhere about um, how somebody had used a Slack community as a you know as a membership model type thing. So I was like, this could be interesting. How could we build something of value for folks? And so we uh, built it as a product. I think it was eight bucks a month or eight ninety nine a month or something like that, and. It would deliver uh, glitch fairs, uh, auto glitch fairs, and then you had that community, the community component. I learned so much by having that first product um, about how to manage a community, um, about how to manage people, about how to manage my own expectations. Um, We ended up sunsetting that project, uh, that product, um, right right before we. uh, unveiled uh, Compass, which was kind of like the evolution of the district. So that was our first product. So we had three products um, before we sold. 
So with you say you've learned so much about building a community and in yourself. Can you share like what was the major takeaways from that first product for you? Um, I think trying to understand the community that we wanted to serve, right? Mm-hmm. We had like, you know, 2000 or however many, we had thousands of customers at this point. Mm-hmm. And at a certain price point, you have different expectations from different customers. Um, and so when we, when we looked back on who we wanted to serve, we realized that we wanted to serve, um, customers that were, gosh, not a little kinder, but like, we just didn't, we just learned a lot about, um, like if you, if you have a product that has a relatively low cost, you're going to attract a type of customer that may not necessarily either value the product or they have high expectations that don't necessarily, um, match the amount that they're investing um, I also learned how, like conflict management and conflict resolution because you had people that were offending people. Um, this is a real time live chat. We have to sleep, right? So we go to sleep, we wake up and then there's a whole thing that blew up overnight and we were sleeping. So we didn't, we weren't able to manage it. So there were like little things like that, that we had to deal with. Um, and that was like, that was like really hard. I learned that people do not like to be silenced at all. Um, that's like a pet peeve. And so there's just a lot of lessons around like community and understanding your customers that we learned, um, from, from that time. I think that's a, that's a great point, especially as a lot of things start or launch on social media, people kind of just see it pop up and they think it looks easy. And then there's like this sense of entitlement sometimes. So I've definitely seen my fair share of communities, digital communities, kind of going a little nuts <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something to keep in mind for anybody listening who either has or wants to start a business that needs a thriving uh, community to to grow. So what advice would you give someone who wanted to start a similar company, whether it's like within the travel space or even outside of it? Um. I am a big fan of um, community-first businesses. Um, I love community-first businesses because it's the, to me, it's the cheapest way to validate your business and grow your business. Um, by the time we launched our first couple of products, so we didn't make any revenue for 18 months. After that 18 months, it took us less than a year to get to our first million. And so a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were listening to what our customers wanted. We um, had a feedback loop. So in the same way that you think about Glossier, for example, Glossier launched from Into the Gloss, uh, which is a blog. And so they created products that their that their blog um, blog readers would love. And so um, they have a very tight feedback loop um, for, you know, for any of their products that they develop. So if you're looking to start a new business in the travel space, I would think about, uh, the community that you want to serve and how you can serve them better. I think that, you know, if you're thinking about an, an angle to think about, you know, your travel business, I think it should be differentiated 
Um, at, you know, there weren't that many small group experiences that focus specifically on, on Black travelers uh, for a while. And then, you know, when the company was acquired, they stopped those experiences um, and you saw, you know, more, more experiences kind of pop up. But I think people tried to replicate the, the trips but not they couldn't replicate the actual ethos of the experience because if you hadn't been on one, you didn't necessarily know what all went, you know, what all went down or what you know went on behind the scenes. Um, and so, try not to copy what you see somebody doing without understanding the methodology behind it. Um, I think it's easy to copy things. Um, it takes less work, right? You just you know, you copy and paste essentially. But when you do that, you're short circuiting yourself, um, especially from trying new things, experimenting, validating. You're essentially waiting for that person to make a move before you make a move. So those are some things that I would think about and consider as you're starting your your new company. Those are those are great tips for sure. So thanks to COVID, a lot of industries are now considering keeping remote work as a permanent option for their employees. But being able to work remotely from anywhere in the world was a perk that you offered at Travel Noir from the very beginning. How were you able to make that work before it was like the norm, especially while scaling such a fast growing company and community? Yeah, um, I think that every company for the most part starts from the culture of the founder. And so the founder will bring their own bias, their own ethos. And for me, I didn't want an office. Like I didn't want to go and like show up somewhere. I wanted to be free to travel and to live wherever made me the most happy and productive. And I wanted to build a company where those things could be true. But it wasn't until I saw like a model company that I was like, oh, this is interesting. And that company was Buffer. So Buffer uh, is a social media scheduling tool. And they have, maybe now they have over 100 employees, but they've been uh, remote from jump. And they post a lot of their experiences with remote work. And so when I saw that, like, okay, that is, is doable on a larger scale, I was like, this is exactly what we're going to do. So it really started based on my own desire to not have an office. And I don't think that, you know, even with this new building, new business that I'm building, that I won't have uh, another office again. Like I, I love freedom for me is like one of the, one of the more important aspects of like entrepreneurship, right? Like I build businesses so that I can maintain a level of freedom. That's amazing. Like, that's absolutely amazing. And I think that's something that everyone thinks that they can do, but it's something that you did before it was, you know, there, there was buffer, but like we hadn't seen it, um, especially, yeah. you know, with our peers that are entrepreneurs, we just hadn't seen it um, on that scale. Yeah. So I think it was very inspiring. Um, so with Travel Noir, like you guys have the beautiful imagery you shared of Black travelers to the many resource guides that your team provided about how to travel smarter. You know, it was easy for both new and avid travelers to fall in love with the brand. But for the travel industry, which has a lo- which we know has a long way to go with inclusiveness, how did they respond to Travel Noir in the beginning? You know, I'd always had this like ethos and expectation that we just 
do the work, right? Like I have always pushed or I'd always push my team to do excellent work. And if people notice, they notice. If not, that's fine. We're serving, you know, we're serving our audience in a way that they haven't been served before. And if we make a difference in their lives and that's all that matter, matters. So we um, actually, and, and, and honestly, like when you're, when I started Travel Noir, I wasn't in the travel industry. I was a traveler, but I wasn't in the travel industry. I am sure that if I was in the travel industry, somebody would have told me that, that what I was thinking about doing was not going to work. Right. So I'm always, I'm a big proponent of, of outsider, like outsiderism. I know that's not a word, but when you're thinking about, you know, doing something new, if you're an outsider, all the better because you bring in a fresh perspective. You don't know what the boundaries are. Um, you kind of blur those lines. And so for us, we never really looked for the approval of um, some of these organizations because we knew that we were doing good work. I mean, yeah, of course, we would love to work with, you know, Marriott and some of these, you know, these other uh, other brands. And, and that came eventually. We didn't we didn't spend much time building that out because we were so focused on on our consumers. But had we spent time building that out, I'm sure we would have been able to to be a bigger company. So when you did start working with travel partners in the industry, clearly they saw the vet. Well, they started to see the value in, you know, black travelers. We spend billions of dollars a year and they still completely, for the most part, have ignored us <laughs> in their marketing mix, you know, whether it's accessory companies, destinations, etc. So when they saw Travel Noir and what you guys were doing, how did they approach you? Was it like, okay, we need to be a part of this? Or like, what the hell are y'all doing? Like, how are you able to, to do this? Where did you come from? Um, I think that, you know, peop- the DMOs, the destination marketing organizations or the tourism boards, were just kind of like, they didn't make like a big thing about it. Like it wasn't like, Oh, we, you know, we must get X, Y, and Z. Although, I mean, they were open to, you know, we had writers and things like that who, um, who went on these press trips and, you know, they were able to be represented in that way, but it definitely was not like them clamoring on our doors and, and knocking, you know, knocking the doors down and saying, Hey, we must work with you. It wasn't, it was never like that. Like I think, and sometimes it can be discouraging because you're like, Hey, Brazil or Hey, you know, so-and-so we'd love to work with you. And DMO would be like, Oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the budget for it, etc. And, you know, you would see that other folks would be paid to do all these different things. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're just kind of like, okay, oh, well, back to work, at least for at least for me. Right. And I think that's that served you well, because you were focusing on your consumers, your community. But looking at, you know, from 2013 to now, over the last year, we saw Ghana do this huge successful year of return campaign. And as a publicist, I'm a student of just great campaigns, regardless of industry. And I don't ever remember seeing any destination do a campaign solely targeted at African-Americans or even, you know, Black people within the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And I think 
it, everyone was like so shocked that it was successful, but we all, you know, so many people, especially from continent to continent, like I went, I even went, <laughs> you know, in December. So how do you think, do you think even something like that put the rest of the tourism world on notice or they're just like, eh, it's a fluke? Um, I definitely think it put tourism boards on notice. Um, I think that, um, now, when they saw the economic impact, I think that's when they started paying more attention, right? They saw that um, that there was a billion dollars of economic activity brought into Ghana. And I think for some countries who may have not cared as much, they, uh, they likely would have said... Mm, okay, like that's cool. But then they saw the economic impact and they were like, we want, we want those dollars. So it, perhaps it's more about the money than it is the people. Um, but I mean, you never know, like it, it's a very, it's a very nuanced, um, I think approach. You have co- countries who might've been um, indifferent who are like, you know, bring them on in, let's do a year of the return, you know, X, or let's do a year of the return Namibia or South Africa or wherever. Um, It may be more economically driven than it is about, you know, really connecting people to their roots, but yeah. Okay. And and what's what's interesting is that travel noir, like you can't look at the travel industry, especially especially for black travelers and say that you guys did not change the game and change everyone's perception of how and what black travelers look like and where we journey to. But then in 2017, you sold the business to Blavity, another black owned company. Like what made you sell your baby? Yeah. So um, honestly, at that time, there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on in my head. And I, you know, I tell people, you know, I tell people the truth, right? So for, for Travel Noir, we, um, we, how can I explain this? Um, I was not, I wasn't tired of being known as like the travel girl, but I knew that I had a a feeling that God wanted me to do something else to do something different and not everybody was okay with me deciding to sell the company you know um and i think that was a kind of a hard realization but when i felt like the lord was moving me in that direction um i you know i didn't want to be disobedient because a half half obedience is still you know disobedience and i and i wanted to be in the right place and so that was the that was kind of the the one of the leading leading factors for me selling the business was that I just wanted to do what I felt like the Lord was leading me to do and that was to sell the business. There's a scripture John 15 talks about God pruning us of things that even bear fruit so that we can you know grow fruit more abundantly. I'm paraphrasing, but it's that the even the good things that we have still need trimming because when they come back, they'll come back stronger. And so I knew that if I let go of this thing, that you know God had even bigger and better plans for me down the line. 
I'm just sitting here like basking in that <laughs> because <laughs> that was such a good word. And I think I know that that is something that I struggle with a little because it's kind of, you know, there are these memes that say, God, give me a sign. And then there's a sign and you're like, I can't read all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Like, how do you just trust and and I know you know one of the things that I admire about you is how you're able to incorporate your faith into your work but it's like how do you know especially with something that you were obviously very visible with Travel Noir Travel Noir literally was like a rocket you know that that still had so much so many more places that you could have taken it and obviously it's still growing elsewhere but when you're at the top of course, people are like, are you crazy? Why Why would you do this? So how do you get oh, comfortable, you know, or how did you get comfortable just saying, you know what, I can let this go because I know that I can do more? Yeah. Um, I think it, it took, uh, I mean, it did take a lot and it was really challenging. I had to drown out a lot of voices. I literally got to a place where I didn't talk to anybody but God for like for a week couple weeks um and you know my success is not predicated on what you think about my business right like how you would have thought that I should you know hold on to this particular business my success is not predicated on that my success you know it's like a lot of people think that success is in what you, you what you have the freedom that you have the homes that you have the cars that you drive the work that you do but Success in the Bible looks a lot like sacrifice. And I want I want to be biblically successful, not worldly successful. And so when people were confused about, you know, why I sold Travel Noir, I had to get really honest and and say to myself, well, a lot of people see success in this way, but you are going to see success in a different way. And that's okay. Like, you don't have, people don't always have to understand every single move that you make, but I know that the moves that I make are to please an audience of one, you know? Mm. It's all about alignment, personal alignment, you know, not trying to keep up with anybody else. And that, that was so powerful that success looks like sacrifice. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh God, are you speaking? To, I'm like, are you speaking to me through them right now? Because I'm about to disconnect my phone, That's this microphone. So funny. Um, like I'm like, God, are you screaming at me? Because I have not been listening. Um, so this this next question is really, you know, I try to ask things of my guests that I really think an audience want you know would want to know and I think they'll want to know this too but this one is really really personal to me and I specifically wanted to ask you so what advice would you share with someone someone being me uh, <laughs> who is looking to strengthen their faith and hear God more clearly during this time of like transition or any time uh, of transition yeah um, I think that uh, a lot of times people will ask, you know, how they can hear God, but God is always speaking. He's always speaking. And I think that people often forget that, um, 
God is the word, right? His book that he's given to us. Every, No matter how complex I think the world is right now, the Bible has an answer for it. And if we remove our very limited um, like space of thinking, like, oh, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about road rage, right? Like, uh, yeah, of course, but the, the core principle is still there. And so oftentimes, like, I tell people, um, or even I think about my own life, you know, when I really wanted to hear from God to me or for me, it looks like um, stepping back from the distractions. It looks like prayer. It looks like reading the word. It looks like fasting. It looks like doing everything in your power to quiet the distractions. And the distractions can come from your flesh the distractions can come from other people, other opinions, etc. So if you want the clarity um, that comes from, you know, a really strong relationship with God, it requires the sacrifice and, and the continual dying to self. Um, and so I tell people, sit with your Bible in a place that's quiet, take some worship music and ask God to reveal, you know, to reveal whatever he needs to reveal to you. Um, he is, he's literally always there and, you know, he's a gentleman. He's not going to barge down your door and, and force you to do anything. We all have our own free will. I don't know them. I feel like I've been, I feel like I've been ignoring certain signs and now God is getting a little aggressive. (laughs) But, But even, but even in that though, even in that you, even if God, even if you feel like God is being aggressive and it's just kind of like bleep, bleep, bleep. People can still choose to ignore that. Right. You know, they can still choose to ignore what he's saying and continue to go about doing their own thing. You know, what could be considered loud to you might be quiet to somebody else. Um, You know? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. So let me ask you this and then we'll, you know, continue continue on about the business. Have you ever felt just deep within your spirit, your heart, your mind, just like something that you should be doing. And I think I know the answer, but something that you should be doing that was outside of your comfort zone, but you felt like if I don't do this, it's going to, it's still going to be there. Like I have to, like this, this, this is God speaking to me and I have to do this. How do you push yourself beyond your comfort zone to follow that line of purpose? Yeah. Um, I mean, I first recognize that it's hard and I'll first like, you know, I'll say to myself, like, I don't want to do this. You know, I do not want to do this at all. But guess what? I'm sure Abraham didn't want to leave his, his, the wealth that he had to go be a vagabond, you know, like he didn't want to lead the people because he had a stutter, like all of these things all of the heroes of the Bible that we hear about, oh, our heroes of faith, they have done things that they didn't even want to do. And how am I sitting here in 2020 any different? You know, um, I if, if I need clarity on something that I don't feel like I'm getting in like my quiet time or I have like dreams or just like different things, I'll go to my pastor, I'll go to my bishop and I'll tell him, you know, or my, you know, my spiritual authority this is what's going on. This is, you know, this is what's been happening. Like, what do you, what are your thoughts? And that's, 
I, I went to them a lot during the sale of my business because God was just speaking to me the entire time. I was having crazy dreams. I was having like, it was the craziest time in my life. Like when I tell you me and God, we were best friends and it was, it was um, such a beautiful time because I became a student of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it was, it allowed me to track God. Like I couldn't predict what he was going to do, but I looked back on what he had done and I could say, I see what you did there. Wow. Um, That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Another thing that I've admired about you is, you know, we talked about how you you value freedom and you want to be free to travel and live anywhere. I, you're not tied down. You've lived in other, other countries. You're not tied down to any one place. And I feel like I'm somebody that that I'm just like deeply rooted and that comes from like childhood, you know, having like a volatile childhood. And so I feel like roots are in a way safety for me. Do you feel like Mm. the freedom to move around as you please or not being tied to any one place is freedom is like freedom to you or safety to you? Well, yeah, I think that like for me, I'm grounded here um, with my church And so that is the reason that I feel like the Lord brought me here to Chicago. Um, And so I don't like I don't say to myself, okay, let me move, you know, three months to Argentina or three months to wherever, because I don't think that that's the will of God for my life right now. But freedom for me means that I'm able to wake up whenever, work on whatever, and not have to worry about you know, like finances or um, worry about some of the things that I might have been worried about, you know, in the past. And so freedom to me means that, yes, I mean, if I want to take a sabbatical um, and, you know, work, you know, for two months somewhere, I can. Um, it means that I can, if, if for example, like my husband and I have been talking a lot about, you know, he doesn't really feel that tied to America anymore. He used to be like very much, I want to live here in the States. And um, I used to be like, you know, I, I would love to live abroad at some point, but, you know, we'll see where the Lord leads us. And so we've had conversations about what's important to us. And for him, it's, it's that there is a, um, what's the word, uh, like a, a higher standard of living, not higher standard of living, um, like happy, that he wants to be happy where he lives, basically. And he doesn't want work to be the leading force for why he has to live somewhere, a work-life balance kind of thing. And so what countries lend itself to that kind of thinking? And so we've been talking about and exploring what that looks like. And it's the freedom to, to be able to move somewhere that we feel is safe you know, that does, is not necessarily tied to our work at all. We can get up and go anywhere and still be able to work. So that's, that's kind of what I, what I think about when I think about freedom. Mm, That's, that's, uh, that's important. And I think I I love that. And I want to let some of that rub off on me. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very much tied to a place and I don't know, I, I have to examine why that is. 
Um, and what do I feel I lose, uh, whether it's in terms of identity or something else, were I to move? So that's something I, I definitely need to dig a little bit deeper in. Yeah. But since leaving Travel Noir, you've acquired a business and, you know, I've been following you for a while. So I know like your mom and your aunt are like heavy OGs in the real estate <laughs> investment <laughs> game. So are you able to tell us a little bit more about the business that you purchased or why you went that route? Yeah. So we uh, we decided to buy a business because the question was, um, should we buy another investment property or should we buy a business. Um, and I thought to myself, well, a business, if you, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's operation structure, operational structure is intact, it's in place and we can scale it, um, in marketing, etc., then it can return more to us than a real estate property could, um, a, a higher ROI. And so I started searching for a business that made sense landed on one that was in um, South Korea. We went out there, we met the owner, we signed the papers. Uh, it's an online business and I don't share much about it because I have learned that a lot of times people will equate your value with what they think you do. Um, and uh, I believe very strongly in this concept of hush money where um, you know, not everybody has to know everything that you're doing, right? Like, you know, you know, you know that we have a company and, you know, it's doing well. And that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. And so I think when you think about, uh, cancel culture these days, a lot of people will, um, uh, attack the person by attacking where they work or the businesses that they have. And this is, you know, it's another layer of protection. Not saying that I'm going to do anything that's cancel, cancel worthy. I, but, say, I mean, no, no, <laughs> not, nothing that's cancel worthy, but here's the thing. Like people can't cancel what they didn't create, right? Like you are not, you're, we're, we're not little gods walking around here with the power to cancel people. But for me, because my life with TN was so visible people made so many assumptions about who I was and what I had and what I did. And I just wanted something that was much more, um, much more private. Like it doesn't, um, people don't necessarily need to know about it. We have, you know, a couple businesses that we run and, and so, yeah, but it's, a, I mean, it's a great business. It's, it's, um, it doesn't require a lot of work. The work that we do put into it just yields kind of, extra in revenue and so that's that and then I bought a property um a multifamily property and my husband bought one mm -hmm. um and you know we use we bought our properties with the guidance of my mom and my aunt who have a you know they have a bunch of a bunch of different real estate properties and it's been an interesting journey it has been a very interesting journey Right. And you mentioned, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here. You mentioned no, it's all good. a book that we can expect. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, where so. all, the, all the gems, all the background information um, will be in it. Like, I don't want to pressure you, but when can we look out for this book? This year. What? Yeah, okay, okay so you'll, you'll have to come back. 
So you'll have to come back on the show. I got you. Yeah, because I'm going to be you. all over that book, and you know I'm going to have questions. <laughs> um, well, I just want to say, I have, I, I want to close this out, but I just want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. It's been so refreshing, and I feel like, you know, me and God are going to have a real good talk because I did not, <laughs> you know, I didn't tell him to call you first <laughs> before, so before you funny. got on here. But, I, you know, there were certain things that you said on this interview that I really think I needed to hear. Um, I'm happy to hear that you are doing well, that you are thriving. And I and I love what you said about the business that you acquired and why, after being so visible, you're going with a more quiet route. And I think people yeah. need to know that you don't have to have, like, people think of entrepreneurship as, okay, I have this one amazing idea and I create a business. There are so many avenues to being an entrepreneur and acquiring an existing business is one of them. So that's something that I would encourage everyone to look into on their yeah. own time. But lastly, my last question is, what, aside from being a best-selling author in 2020... <laughs> Speak it! Yes, because I'm speaking that all over your life. Aside from that <laughs> happening, what does the near future hold for you, Zim? And what can we look forward to? You have the Bloom podcast. You have your book. What What else can we can we look out for? Yeah, so I'm starting a company. Um, the company is called Italicist, and we are um, yeah we're building an engine that scans uh, hundreds of fashion brands to create personalized collections for women who dress modestly. Um, and so I'm really excited about that because it takes way too long for me to find something that I love. Like if I go to anthropology, for example, I can only really wear 10 to 20% of what they have because maybe the neckline's too low or the back is out or the material's too sheer. And so with italicis, you tell us what you can and can't wear. We, you know, you, together we create your style standard. And based on that style standard, we will deliver to you uh, an experience where you can wear 100% of what you see based on what we've scanned from the thousands of brands that we work with. So I'm really, really excited about that. You can't see me right now, Zim, but I'm shaking my head. <laughs> I'm shaking my head because... One, I think that that's just amazing. And I, I recently, I think you were on live or I caught a part of a conversation you had about, you know, your, why you dress modestly and, you know, why that's so, so important to you and why that's a lifestyle. And I know that there's a huge market of women, you know, even Ava DuVernay talked about it. Like, she's like, I can be sexy without showing yeah. anything, you know, and I... And I love that. But I have to say this. People throw this word around a lot, but you are brilliant. <laughs> you oh, are. Oh, gosh. And, and, and of, oh, course, of course, of course, you're like, you know, I'm just me. I'm just a person. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you were out here cloning gems while we were playing with the skip it, you know. I mean, oh, cloning jeans. We were playing with the you know, I really think it, and if brilliant isn't something that feels comfortable, like you, you really got it. Let's just say that. Aww, you, I, I appreciate really that. really got it. And I, and I hope that everything that you touch will turn to gold going forward. And I'm excited. I to, receive it. Yes. I'm, and I, I hope it rubs off on me. Touch me, girl. Touch me next. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you know, I'm looking forward to, to the book and, and I'm really just excited to see you continue to blossom. Oh, wow. Thank you. That was, that was, I felt that in my soul. I appreciate it. <laughs> For those who are listening, Takita's a real one. Um, she has been in the game for a while and I've loved to, I've loved seeing you grow and I've loved seeing how much you are a student of people and brands who get it right. I think that that's, that's so important and there's not enough people that are students. Everybody wants to be a professor, but the realty is getting, (laughs) is understanding. Like if you're a student of people and you're a student of brands and you're a student of the work that people do, you end up getting farther. And I think a lot of people just kind of look, everybody wants to have a voice, right? But the real power is in the behind the scenes. And I've been like so impressed by by how you, just how you do business and how you run your own business. And um, I'm so thankful that you invited me on here to run my mouth about my story. I love it. I'm a fan. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Sakita Method. Zim was such a treat to, to talk to. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you did too. In the time since we talked, she has officially dropped the pre-order for her debut book called Dare to Bloom, Trusting God Through Painful Endings and New Beginnings. You can pre-order the book at daretobloombook.com. I'll be ordering a couple because I definitely want to do a giveaway. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to use the hashtag the Sakita method when talking about it online and please tag me at miss success that's m-i-s-s success as well as the Sakita method and if you're listening to this episode on apple Podcasts, please leave a review and a five-star rating and if you want to join the email list text Sakita method to 33777